Support for this podcast and the following message come from Humana. Employees are the heartbeat of your business. That's why Humana offers group dental, vision, life, and disability plans designed to protect them. Exceptional service, broad networks, and modern benefits. That's the power of human care. Let's take a trip to a place you've probably been before. It's somewhere you can spend the entire day and a lot of money. There are department stores, restaurants, a food court, maybe even a movie theater. Have you guessed where we're headed yet? I think my favorite mall memory was when I was a child and going to the local malls and seeing all of the crazy fountains and waterfalls. I don't know if that's what has uh, created my love of the outdoors and of natural waterfalls, but I just remember staring at the waterfalls at the Hickory Hollow Mall, what seemed like forever when I was a kid. I used to go to the mall as a middle schooler and a high schooler in the 90s to go to movies and eat in the food court and buy new clothing with my babysitting money. And what is about to bring me back to the mall is our Finger Lakes Toy Library, where you can borrow toys. And what's kept me from the mall is the strong fragrances, but I'm going to brave it anyway while my daughter is in the age range. One of my favorite memories of going to the mall was in sixth grade when my grandmother taught us how to budget by taking us to the mall. Now that I am an educator, I'm taking my Gen Z and younger teens to the mall to learn how to budget, and that's per their request. So the mall is alive and thriving. That's right. We're going to the mall. Retail experts have long said that U.S. malls are dying, but a recent market analysis paints a different picture. Foot traffic in top-tier malls was up 12% in 2022 compared to before the pandemic. Last year, these same malls had more than 95% occupancy rate. That's according to a report from Coresight Research published in June. Coresight Research is a company that gathers and analyzes data about the retail industry. Younger shoppers are in part driving this resurgence. 73% of Gen Z shoppers say they've visited a mall in the past month. That's compared to 65% of millennials, according to the International Council for Shopping Centers. So why are malls making a comeback now? And as our shopping habits go increasingly online, how are malls keeping up? I'm Jen White. You're listening to the 1A Podcast, where we get to the heart of the story. We'll meet our panel after this short break. Stay with us. This message comes from NPR sponsor Charles Schwab with its original podcast on investing. Each week, hosts Lizanne Saunders, Schwab's chief investment strategist, and Kathy Jones, Schwab's chief fixed income strategist, along with their guests, analyze economic developments and bring context to conversations around stocks, fixed income, the economy, and more. Download the latest episode and subscribe at schwab.com slash oninvesting or wherever you get your podcasts. Support for NPR and the following message come from IXL Online. Is your child asking questions on their homework you don't feel equipped to answer? IXL Learning uses advanced algorithms to give the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. One subscription gets you everything. One site for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And NPR listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com NPR. 
This message comes from NPR sponsor Viore, a new perspective on performance apparel. Clothing designed with premium fabrics, built to move in, styled for life. For 20% off your first purchase, go to viore.com slash NPR. Coming to the mall with us is Alexandra Lang. She's the author of Meet Me by the Fountain, an inside history of the mall. Also with us is Brandon Eisner. He's America's head of retail research for CBRE. That's a commercial real estate and investment firm. And Amelia Diamond. She's a writer and the head of creative brand marketing for the fashion company AYR. In 2017, she wrote a piece called, Am I the Last Person Alive Who Loves the Mall? for the online magazine Repeller. Thank you all for joining us. Now, Alexandra, when we say malls, let's just clarify what we're talking about. How do you define a mall? A mall is an indoor shopping center with uh, department stores as anchors, typically and historically. So we're not talking about strip malls. We're talking those sort of big behemoth buildings (laughs) where you walk in and you don't see daylight again until you come out. (laughs) Amelia, in your essay, you discuss the different kinds of malls, including, quote, the high school hangout mall, the fancy mall, and the kind of sucky but convenient for errands mall. Explain your hierarchy of malls. I mean, first of all, thank you for calling that an essay. Um, (laughs) I would call it more of a dissertation. Um, You know, I I think it's just that for me, malls were a critical role growing up. Um, My mom actually, a lot of her work revolved around downtown revitalization. So it was probably the one way that I actually rebelled. Um, But, you know, I grew up in a city and I also spent time in the suburbs. And so... I think it was just that. There are the malls that you go to for your fancy shopping. There are the malls that you go to to hang out with your friends. And then there are the malls where you just got to, you know, run and get a quick pair of socks before something because you forgot. You forgot your socks. Well, Brandon, for years, there's been this narrative that malls are dying. And And I know in my hometown, at least one mall we used to go to a lot when I was a teenager did close. But the reality is more complicated than that. What does the current American mall landscape look like? So I I agree that there's a little bit more nuance than often like that, that 30,000 foot look. And there's, there's a definite bifurcation between, and you, you already touched a little bit on this, like the the class A malls versus like the class B and then the class C malls. And so um, the answer is, is pretty complicated, you know, as a whole, Malls are there's a little bit uh, occupancy in malls now than there was you know five six years ago. But just like you said, the the top tier malls are very viable centers of, of commerce, and and you know they remain the, the owners of them continue to reinvest in them, and and they have good uh, tenant churn. So there's always the the best tenants and and the, the newest brands having space. But you know it's it's you know sometimes the the lesser malls. Sometimes the biggest issue with them is that it just might be the the third best mall in a great trade area. So it just might be, you know, one mall too many. And, and so that that's where we see sometimes the the the, the stagnant activity at some of these, you know, B minus and, and lower malls, the class C and, and malls and such. I'd love to hear some of your favorite mall memories growing up, Amelia. The mall was totally the spot to be. I mean, I think, you know, it's funny. I was talking, <laughs> I used to go to the mall a lot with my friends and with my parents. And I was, before this, I was talking about this with my dad and he was saying, it's kind of the only place where you could hang out as a teenager 
underage and unsupervised, it was sort of like the mm. safest place to be dropped off and then picked up. Alexander, um, what about for you? Yeah, so my mall as a teenager was South Square Mall in Durham, North Carolina, RAP. Um, and I went there to, you know, like go to the Gap, to go to the B. Dalton. And as I write in my book, I think the mall is really important for teenagers' identity formation. Like that's where you're looking at things and deciding like, is this the thing for me or is that the thing for me? Hmm. And for you, Brandon, mall memories? You know, Amelia and Alexander, it's, I think a lot of us have, have pretty similar memories. And so I'm, I'm actually a member of, of Gen X. And, you know, for, for us, the mall was our place of escape. And I think it's interesting to look at generations when, when you, uh, when, when thinking about the mall and, you know, cause when we were kids, there, there's always a, at least one parent home. And so that was the only place we could go to get, get away from our parents. And then then came the millennial generation where uh, their escape was the internet. And and so you know, the, a lot of times their escape was at home. Uh, and so, uh, and, and now, you know, Gen Z, there's, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of parents there at, at the home working from home. And so again, the mall might again be the place of escape, but yeah, it's, it's the same thing. It's there, there's fountains, there's a bookstore, there was a hobby shop, there was movies, and you could just spend the entire day there and, and be entertained the entire time. Alexander, let's step back for a moment. How did malls come to be in this country? Well, the first indoor shopping mall was Southdale in Edina, Minnesota, which opened in 1956. And it was designed by Victor Gruen, who's considered the father of the shopping mall. Um, And he really intended it as the equivalent of a main street for the suburbs. Like he diagnosed that there was a problem in developing the suburbs in that you had houses and cars and highways, but no place for people to gather. Um, And the shopping mall was his idea of that place to gather. So how how did the establishment of this space, the mall, change American life in the years after they were they were set up? Well, in the early days, there was a lot of um, fear on the part of downtown uh, business owners and developers that the mall would siphon business from downtowns. And of course, that inevitably happened. But I think the idea that people in the suburbs were going to drive all the way back downtown for shopping was always just sort of absurd. And so malls provided this really important outlet for, um, at that time, mostly women and children who were at home during the day. That was a place for them them to, you know, run into each other, to meet, to socialize. A lot of those early malls had uh, fun things for children to do, you know, merry-go-rounds or even nurseries where people could drop their kids off while they were doing their shopping. Now, I grew up in Detroit, so I got to get a shout out to Fairlane Mall in Dearborn. That was one mall we went to. The other one was Northland, rest in peace, Northland Mall in Detroit. And I don't know, (laughs) I went to malls specifically for the bookstores and the Orange Julius, and the movies, because I hated shopping. My mother made my sisters drag me along, and I would complain the whole time. But you know, it is what it is. Coming up, one of our producers speaks to her cousin, a 17-year-old Zoomer, about why she goes to the mall. We'll be back with more in a moment. This message comes from NPR sponsor, REI Co-op. REI has gear, clothing, classes, and advice for camping and glamping, biking and hiking, axing and snacksing, backpacking, and another outdoor thing that rhymes with backpacking. 
Visit your local REI co-op or REI.com for the million and one ways you can opt outside. This message comes from NPR sponsor Mint Mobile. From the gas pump to the grocery store, inflation is everywhere. So Mint Mobile is offering premium wireless starting at just $15 a month. To get your new phone plan for just $15, go to mintmobile.com switch. Support for this NPR podcast and the following message come from Amgen, a biotechnology pioneer leading the fight against the world's toughest diseases such as cancer, heart disease, asthma, and osteoporosis. In a new era of human health, Amgen continues to accelerate the pace of change, operating sustainably and drawing upon deep knowledge of science to push beyond what's known today. With each decade, they reliably deliver powerful new therapies to patients. Learn more at Amgen.com. This is my voice. I can tell you a lot about me, and I'm not changing it for anyone. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of NPR episodes centered on Black experiences. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get your podcasts. We're going to turn now to the role of malls in the American teenage experience. One a producer, Haley Blassingame, recently spoke to her 17-year-old cousin, Kenzie, who grew up in the D.C. area. Here's their conversation about why she goes to the mall. Take me through your typical trip to the mall. What are you doing? Who are you with? And what does that look like? My typical trip to the mall is probably when I'm, well, I'm not really doing anything like specific, but most of the times I'll watch like a movie with somebody, like whether it be a date, a friend, or by myself. Um, I'm just like normally watching a movie, maybe going somewhere to shop and like maybe also going somewhere to eat. Do you have any favorite stores that you like to go to? I would say one of my favorite stores to go to would either be like Five Below or H&M or Forever 21. So you say that most of the time you're not doing anything. So you might watch a movie, but like for the most part, you're not doing anything. But you must be doing something at the mall, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, are you are you just kind of walking around? Are you just like talking to your friends? I mean, for the most part, um, I'm like walking around and I'm like, I know like I always get food at the mall. Most of the time I'll be getting food. I don't really do anything like specific. I don't really like have a pattern, but um. I'll just like do different things. It's never like one constant thing that I'm typically doing. What do you like about the mall? It's somewhere for me and my friends to hang out that's like nearby and it's close and like my favorite part is like there's a movie theater there and I love to watch movies. What's the last movie you saw? The last movie I saw, I think it was when... Disney 100 was doing their thing in um, different movie theaters when they were showing The Incredibles. I'm pretty sure that's the last movie I saw. Oh my god, I remember The Incredibles. That came out when I was like in elementary school. Really? Yeah, the first one. Wow. 2004 or something. (laughs) So what's funny is the whole reason that we're doing this show about the mall is because my mom told me that you went to the mall. 
And I was kind of surprised because I didn't know that Gen Z was still going to the mall. I mean, I would go to the mall with my friends. We would go to Wheaton, Pentagon City, PG Mall, which was not that great. <laughs> um, but I mean, we would just go there, try to meet guys and like eat, like you said, go to the food court. Is this normal for your friends and like people in your generation to go to the mall? Is this something like, you know, I was surprised, but does that feel totally normal to you? It feels to- totally normal to me. Yeah. And I know it's normal for my friends. I'm not sure about like the rest of the generation because I know there's like online shopping and stuff and like people are lazy and stuff like that. But I feel like the mall is a good way <laughs> to get out of the house, you know. I was going to ask because I know that Gen Z sort of came of age with during the pandemic and was having online classes and things like that. Do you feel like part of this might be a response to? having that your social life sort of truncated during the pandemic and now being able to go out with your friends and the mall being mostly free, you know, do you think, do you see any connection between, between that and your generation? You know, I never really thought about it like that, but yeah, I feel like that is, I feel like that is a reason, like one of the reasons why a lot of people in my generation go to the mall because before like during the pandemic not many people were at the mall and if they were like they were wearing their masks but like the mall now is like it's like you don't have to wear your mask everywhere you go and in like big places especially like the mall and it's a good way for like um friends to hang and stuff like that so I think that'd be a reason yeah do you have any crazy mall stories you don't have to say anything if it's going to get you in trouble, but I'm just wondering. Or just fun mall stories or any favorite moments you can remember being at the mall. I was with my boy, my boyfriend. Well, he's my ex now, but my boyfriend and one of my friends. And um, we were all watching a movie. Like we were all watching Lightyear um, when it came out in the theaters. And then um, I remember... I was like throwing popcorn at my boyfriend to mess with him during the movie. <laughs> and he and then we started like um throwing popcorn and he kept asking me to stop. And I'm just like, no, no. And I just kept throwing popcorn. And I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, what do you mean stop? I'm not doing anything. <laughs> so gaslighting. That's great. Well, that's Basically, great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's a great note to end on. Well, thank you so much for for chatting with me about the mall. No problem. I love you. That was what a producer Haley Blassing game talking to her 17-year-old cousin, Kenzie. Now, malls and teenagerhood have almost become synonymous in American culture. Amelia, in your essay, you reconstruct your teenage years through the places you once shopped, writing, quote, I like to do a lap of my youth and make dramatic statements about how life was so easy then. Sometimes I walk past Hot Topic and stare longingly at the kids who make money by being moderately helpful to the soundtrack of heavy metal. Sometimes I walk past Abercrombie and Fitch to get a whiff of Fierce, a cologne that still triggers false feelings of love when I smell it. But I always, always walk past the old haunts where my high school friends and I would hang out. I like to know who's trying to unsuccessfully usurp our legacy. What did the mall mean to you growing up, Amelia? And how do you think it sort of formed your identity as a teen? It, it absolutely formed my identity. Um, I think I sort of said this earlier, you know, it's kind of one of the first places you could really exert your independence. 
um, both away from school and your your parents, but also for me, style was a huge piece of it. And you know, I I actually it's kind of I think I mentioned both both of those stores, Hot Topic and Abercrombie, because they were both like pivotal moments in kind of my you know personal style exploration. And um, you could walk into Hot Topic and decide to be this entirely different person. You would be completely enveloped into this into this world, into what felt like, you know, it felt like a subculture. Of course, it's at every single mall in America, but you could walk in and you could suddenly feel subversive and different. And, um, and I distinctly remember when I, it was almost like crossing a threshold. The summer of eighth grade, I still had pink in my hair and I was wearing, you know, my whole hot topic at the time, these like baggy parachute pants that crossed in the back with, pink sneakers and uh, like a t-shirt with a teddy bear, a Care Bear on it, which, you know, which felt very punk rock in some weird way. Um, and, you know, I, what is it like that movie Mall Rats? And he's like, oh, I love the smell of fresh consumerism in the morning. And so fully me. And I remember wearing that full Hot Topic outfit and a friend of mine wanted to go to Abercrombie because she had heard that everyone in her high school, we were entering high school, was going to be wearing um, these t-shirts that had sparkly pieces of fruit on it. And so I was kind of like, I won't go in there. I, you know, I'm a hot topic. I'm a punk. I can't go. In. Everyone's going to look at me. And I remember crossing the threshold into Abercrombie, that thumping music, you know, the shirtless guys that you absolutely cannot make eye contact with. And you're just like <laughs> smacked in the face with that smell. I swear to God, a guy walks down the street now wearing fierce, I will have an instant urge to like make out with him and <laughs> that's quite a picture I remember you're painting Amelia <laughs> listen you know the hormones crossing that threshold and being like oh am I this kind of person now and from there like my wardrobe changed I just shed all loyalty all my hard-earned babysitting money you know that originally went to Hot Topic slowly then went to accrue things with a friggin moose on it so I, mean, I don't know it's just you can decide who you want to be and you can take it off and you can try on something else. I mean, Alexander, that makes me wonder what your research revealed about the significance of malls in the lives of teenagers, because it had a big effect on Amelia. Yeah, I think everything that Amelia is saying, um, you know, sort of is borne out by the research. And um, honestly, I just I just spent some time with teenagers at Garden State Plaza in New Jersey. And I feel like the names of the stores that they're having this experience at changes, but the behavior stays the same. Like nowadays, the um, young women are shopping at Garage for their like shrunken t-shirts and giant pants. And more of the boys are wearing Under Armour and going to the sports stores. But there's the same kind of tension between like, you know, what kind of girl you are if you start shop at this store versus that store. And the idea that the mall, you know, puts all of those stores within your reach, you know, within like one afternoon's walk is so important um, because you're a teenager, you don't have a car, you can't get everywhere, you need to have that convenience. Um, and that really just makes a big difference. Brandon, I talked to to my uh, one of my besties recently, and she was mentioning taking her daughter to the mall. And I was surprised that this teenager wanted to go to the mall. But as we mentioned earlier, 73% of Gen Z shoppers said they visited a mall in the past month, and 65% of millennials and 48% of Gen X shoppers said they went to the mall in the past month. 
Why are more younger shoppers choosing to to go back to this space? I just think it's it's an exciting place to go, and there's uh, there's there's a lot of different stores, and uh, it's it's one of those places where if you're in a place, right? You know, I grew up in Northeast Ohio, and so uh, the weather isn't always optimal for for open air retail centers, and so it, it's a place where you can go, and, and and again, you can spend the whole day, and and you know that having that you. Know, with with malls, a lot of times they have uh, access to the newest brands, and so uh, it was always exciting to see a new store come come online. And this this is especially true for the you know, the Class A and up malls, where they you know, they often have a good uh, and decent demand where uh, the hottest brands will want to locate there. Because again, th- there still remains this pretty good amount of foot traffic and um, you know, there's there's great parking there's great accessibility they're they're located within strong population centers so it makes sense that retailers would want to be there and so and so then it follows that uh, it's always going to be the place to see the, the freshest brands all in one place yeah I think about some of the stores that were in malls and I was growing up which no longer exist I'm thinking Akatan and units. I'm sure I'm getting lots of blank stares from <laughs> some of the younger producers on our team, but that's okay. They existed. Let's go back to our voicemail box. Here's a message we got from Ryan. I'm a millennial. I started going to the mall in the 90s, and then in the 2000s, we tried to continue that. Something that I distinctly remember is the post 9 11 security step up where you pretty much couldn't hang out at the mall anymore and that kind of kept going until the mid 2000s by the time the security backed off on kicking teenagers out of the mall the internet was a thing i didn't want to go there i just spent half my teenage years getting hassled by mall cops and now i can just go buy my stuff online so that's why i didn't go to the mall these days it's very different i really enjoy being able to go to the mall and actually sit down and you know eat my auntie annie's and enjoy myself Ryan, thanks for that message. Alexandra, how much do Ryan's comments about malls after 9-11 track with your research? Well, there was um, definitely an increase in security at malls after 9-11. Um, but the, the surveillance of teenagers in particular at malls started in the mid-1990s. Um, that's when you first started to see um, parental escort policies and curfew policies. And unfortunately, over the last few years, we've seen another sort of resurgence of those policies which I think is really counterproductive. Um, you know, teenagers and the mall have this long symbiotic relationship. And if we're talking about the need for teenagers to hang out with friends, to, you know, improve their mental health by having more to do, doing things offline rather than online, malls are the perfect space for that to happen. So I really think that malls should be encouraging teenagers rather than creating that kind of um kind of negative interface with the mall cops. We're going to take a quick pause here and head to the break with this message we got from James, who writes, The mall is a place of community, and since the COVID-19 pandemic, it's been a way for my dad and myself to get out and walk. More from you and our guests in just a moment. This message comes from NPR sponsor FX, presenting Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. 
Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Bluehost. Try Bluehost Cloud, the hosting plan made for WordPress creators by WordPress experts. With 100% uptime, fast load times, and 24-7 support, your sites can handle high traffic spikes. Visit Bluehost.com. Let's get back to the conversation with this message we got from E, who emails, I grew up with no malls in Russia-occupied Lithuania, so my first experience at Stamford, Connecticut Mall gave me a vertigo-like disorienting experience. There were no windows. There's this great documentary, Malls Are Us. It argues that malls mimic natural environments, and they are pseudo-sacred spaces. Most malls mimic church architecture with the use of lights, glass, skylights, and most malls are in the shape of a cross. I actually teach a class on religion and American consumerism. Alexandra, I mean, let's take a step back and talk about the architecture of malls. Your background is in design. How revolutionary was the mall as a physical structure when it was first built? Well, it's really interesting. I guess I would say not that I don't think malls were based on church architecture, but I do think they are based on um, conservatory architecture, you know, like greenhouses. That's where the fountains and the palm trees come from. And they're also um, based on the architecture of gallerias um, in cities. You know, when the most famous one is in Milan, where they build a glass roof. So there was covered all-weather shopping in the middle of a city. Um, I think the the real kind of revolution of the mall was actually how blank the outside of the mall could be. Um, some of the early malls tried to do more with architecture on the outside. They'd have little columns. They'd have more of a visible entrance. And it, they the developers soon found out that like that addition of architecture didn't pay. So they started just leaving it off. Um, and I always think of the malls as looking like a giant shopping bag because it's basi- basically this plain beige surface. And then there's like the giant logo of the mall or the giant logo of the department store. Hmm. We got this email from Renee who says, I used to work at a local game store and a mall in the southern United States. It's still open to this day, over 25 years. I'm still a consultant for them. We've had to pivot and find new exciting products to offer constantly. We still do fine, but I will say that the mall management has made it increasingly difficult to stay. They don't seem to care that we are one of the very last original tenants and offer something that brings people to the mall itself. The rent increases, and they aren't in a rush to fill vacant spots. It's frustrating, it's heartbreaking, but I still care about the mall. Brandon, as mall owners, what challenges are they facing around maintaining tenancy, um, keeping those spaces feel to such a degree that that the mall is still a viable economic possibility. There's a lot of different factors. You know, one is is that uh, your know, retailers now they're smarter than ever on where they locate. You know, they use location intelligence, uh they use the mobile phone data and they they have the ability to build brand online. Now, a lot of these retailers still need a brick and mortar presence, but they they can just tap into this this sea of data that they have to find the exact location and and the exact place that they should have a store and so um you know, sometimes they you know, in in the past you know retailers would open up many stores in a market now they don't need as many stores and they they can really just focus on exactly where they want to be and so sometimes um it can be tricky to keep uh, to to keep uh, 
retailers there because because again if if you don't have the foot traffic and and you don't have the the proper uh, you know demographics surrounding your area it it can be tough to attract new tenants and so you know sometimes those those long term tenants can be victims of that because they want to stay in that place but they don't have the same foot traffic as before or uh, they're just uh, they they just have to deal with the the rising rents and you know because it it's also more expensive to operate a mall than it used to be with rising insurance costs and maintenance costs and and so on I want to get to this email we got from Rachel, who says, I can't say I share the nostalgia for malls. Once the Eastview Mall was built in Victor, New York, it negatively affected so many businesses in nearby towns. Businesses in my hometown lost customers to the big fancy location, including my father's music and appliance store. He ended up retiring earlier than he planned as a result. Alexander, what are the consequences of a mall's success or failure especially when we're talking about the challenge it may present to family-owned businesses. Yeah, I mean, that is a real phenomenon and a real problem. I think if malls are located too close to an existing downtown, they can siphon a lot of that business with their, you know, more convenient parking, you know, fresher options, etc. And then that can create a hole in the middle of cities. I mean, historically, malls had more local businesses as part of their palette of options. And I think in the like redevelopment and redefinition of a lot of malls, we're seeing more um, courting of local entrepreneurs. Um, you know, nowadays people don't want a food court that just has um, national chains. They're more interested in like a wider variety of food options. And so some malls have more like a food hall or like a food truck rally situation. And so they will have local food businesses at the mall. Um, and, you know, the same thing is actually happening in the bookstore world in a sense in that so many smaller bookstore chains have, have gone out of business or, you know, it's like B. Dalton doesn't exist anymore. So more malls are having branches of the local public library in their mall. So I think there's an opportunity for actually more synergy between local business and malls. Um, but I also think it's important for towns to kind of recognize what are the strengths of a main street versus a mall and then build upon that. Let's get to a couple of other voicemail messages you sent us. Oh my, what does the mall mean to me? It means so much. It meant something to me even before I realized it. My nickname, my mom tells me for my dad was Mandy Mall because it would lull me. I think really what it meant was safety and choice. I used to go to the mall by bus or by bike and meet up with some of my close friends at the time. This is the mid-1970s. There was a bookstore I used to go to called the Paperback Booksmith. There was a lady in there, a woman. I was a, a teenage boy. And I had this huge crush on her. The store closed, and it, it was hard to see it closed because it's where I'd, I discovered such great books. So the mall means you know, friends, learning schoolboy crushes. It was just a great place to go. Amanda Douglas, thanks for those messages. Amelia, as we just heard, the mall isn't just about buying new stuff. And as you shared, it's a site of discovery. Um, For you, it was a site of of empowerment and, and forming your identity. How are you reflecting on what the mall has meant to you now as as an adult? 
That's an interesting question. I mean, I I live in a small town now um, where the mainstream is very important. So honestly, these, these kinds of conversations, um, it's really like sort of, I'm, I'm really thinking about it in my day to day, especially around the holidays is like when I go shopping for all of my Christmas presents, I'm going to you know, just walk down our one main street and probably stop in all the local stores. There's a, there's a local, um, almost like flea market here where all sorts of arts and crafts and makers and different vendors, including food will come and sell their stuff. And that's a huge part of the community. Um, but you know, I just think what's funny is growing up, I grew up between San Francisco and New Jersey, so major city and (laughs) major suburb in New Jersey. And in both places, I just, I guess I keep reflecting back on how um, the mall was a place to go to meet up, usually kept you out of trouble, sometimes was the cover where you said you were going to be for getting in trouble, (laughs) where we, um, you know, I don't know, celebrated birthdays. You had like a little bit of cash and you were able to actually do something with it. You know, you had a little bit of money that you earned and you were able to take it somewhere and you were able to spend it. And it's kind of like this little way of learning how to be an adult. And I don't know. I think malls are just probably in many ways, microcosms of, um, the larger world, maybe. I don't know. But on like a less deep level, I just think it was fun. I mean, you're just you're just trying to kill time sometimes in the summer and there's no better place to go. You get a little bit you get some junk food, you know, you get to see your friends, you run into people. I think multiple people have now mentioned crushes. It's like if a mall doesn't breed a crush. That's Amelia Diamond. She's a writer and the head of creative brand marketing for the fashion company AYR. In 2017, she wrote a piece called Am I the Last Person Alive Who Loves the Mall? for the online magazine Repeller. Also with us was Alexandra Lang, author of Meet Me by the Fountain, an inside history of the mall. And Brandon Eisner. He's America's head of retail research for CBRE. That's a commercial real estate and investment firm. Today's producer was Haley Blassingame, and thanks to Haley's cousin Kenzie for sharing her story. This program comes to you from WAMU, part of American University in Washington, distributed by NPR. I'm Jen White. Thanks for listening, and let's talk more soon. This is 1A. Support for this podcast and the following message come from the NPR Wine Club. NPR Wine Club members have contributed over $1.5 million to helping create a more informed public. B21. Join the charge at nprwineclub.org slash podcast. Support for NPR and the following message come from IXL Learning. IXL Learning uses advanced algorithms to give the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. Get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com NPR. What does it mean to be Black in America? In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of stories as varied, nuanced, and dynamic as the Black experience, you'll hear, it means everything. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get your podcasts.